I remember working years and years ago now for a woman and I was the project managing with her and in her house she would first and foremost the tissues could never get past halfway they'd be chucked that was the rule for the housekeeper so once the tissue reaches half the tissues replenish and chucks yeah the box as in toilet a toilet roll so the toilet roll in the bathroom would get so it was the housekeeper's job to ensure that in every bathroom in the house which is probably about eight or ten if the toilet roll reaches halfway for her it was like a sign of poverty so she would get them to replace it and they would be chucked wow and she also had stickers with her um, family's logo because family owned the plantation so So she had stickers with a family logo that would then every single time if you went to her house and used the bathroom came out the housekeeper would go straight in after you fold the toilet paper like that in the little triangle yeah like that and then put her logo sticker on top Tuned in to the conversation for her, by her. This episode was recorded in the pod at White City Place. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Conversation Podcast. This episode is all about climate change, and as usual, we have an amazing panel of wonderful women to speak their minds. So, Without further ado, I'm going to get them to introduce themselves. And we have an amazing guest, Kirsty, with us. So, Kirsty, would you go first? Hiya. So, yeah, I um, I work in recycling and the environmental sector. So I'm here to give my knowledge and thoughts on climate change um, and relating to women. So I hope you enjoy. Josephine here. Oh, hi, it's Priscilla. Gosh, I thought JC was going to go into like a little rap about herself. <laughs> I was like, you done? <laughs> no. Hi, it's Priscilla. Hi, hi, hi. So before we get into the main topic, I just want to do a little icebreaker. And the icebreaker is, what is the most recycled item in your household? Oh, I would have to say paper or cardboard. Okay. Mm. Yeah, cardboard. When you say recycled, reused or like as in going through the whole As in going through the recycling. Yeah, so you know, you can always tell a student house because there's always loads of bottles outside. And yeah. pizza boxes. And pizza boxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, see, we recycle really well in my house. Okay. Um, so pretty much everything that can't go in the other bins because in my area they're quite strict. Mm-hmm. So you can't like, we've got a food bin for food yeah. and then you've got the junk, the rubbish, the black bag. We don't really use that to be honest. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you find you've everything is... Like even bottles because yeah. we use you know we drink a lot of water. I say plastic bottles and then mm. packaging, cardboard mm. packaging. Mm. But we recycle very well. I'd yeah, because we have to. Right. Yeah, I would say in our household it's cosmetics for me. Um, Dettol. Dettol. <laughs> I get through a lot of Dettol. And um, yeah, definitely pizza, my boyfriend. You know those little foam, those pizzas <laughs> that you buy from uh, yeah. Sainsbury's that have the little foam bottoms? Yeah, there's always yeah. loads of those. It's always loads of those. But I mean, I think it's interesting that some boroughs obviously are mm. really, you know, like your borough, Priscilla, is obviously really up on the recycling. Mm-hmm. My borough, not so much. Um, Josephine, what's yours like? No, I don't think they really care. My parents, their boroughs hack me down. I think they're quite on it. Mm-hmm. But my boroughs, yeah, I don't think they really care. But I do recycle still. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> What's your borough like, Kirsten? Um, Yeah, it's quite good. We've got food-based recycling. Um, we get our recycling bin emptied every week, but our waste every second week. So that, like you say, you don't really need it as much. And we find that we feel the recycling mm-hmm. a lot more than the waste. Yeah, it's quite good. Yeah. 
And in terms of like recycling initiatives, you know, ones that you've worked on, yes. can you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and how that's impacting? Yeah, so I have worked at local authorities in the recycling teams and on projects. Um, but at the moment, I work at London Waste and Recycling Board, working on a London-wide campaign, which is all around healthy, sustainable eating, food waste recycling and food waste prevention. So it's a London-wide activity that takes place, sometimes in boroughs and sometimes online social media. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Sounds really interesting. I mean, we were, Kirsty and I were having a chat before the episode. And um, we were talking, I know, we were cheating. <laughs> but we were talking about, you know, recent, um, recent brouhaha that has been in the news about food waste and packaging and how to get rid of the, all the stupid bits of packaging that are around food and stop people throwing away things. And we were talking about sell-by dates. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to throw that out there. How, you know, how do you throw away your food? Are you, like, a strict sell-by date person? I, I hate food waste. I really do. And I live alone and I'm just really vigilant. You know, like, I eat a lot of fish and, like, salmon. And so when I buy it, I you know, you know I'll be like, okay, am I having this again the next night? If not, I'm going to put it in the freezer because it just breaks my heart when I have to throw food away. Same with kind of, like, salads, um, you know, the bags of salads you get. Like, I'm just, like, I will use it, you know. Even if I didn't want to eat it that night, I'll use it because I don't want to throw yeah. it away. But I do think, you know, you know, there's best before and then there's sell-by dates. I know, use-by dates. And mm. I think with, you know, chicken and, you know, meat and stuff you, you kind of you have to really adhere to that but I think best before dates yeah there's, I think there's there's fluidity around that and I think if they could maybe do more to kind of educate people because I've googled sometimes with eggs like oh, okay how much time do I have after the best before date yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think maybe if they even put that on the boxes mm. you know so people don't just chuck it out when actually you could have used it for another yeah, yeah. Days. um eggs are actually one of the 10 commonly wasted foods um, and I think there is this massive conception that they go out within two weeks. But I, as far as I know, you can use them. And whenever I've used them, when they've like even nearly three, four weeks old, they've been fine. Mm. I think like with food in general, if you look at it, you smell it, it looks okay. Generally, it's okay to eat, you know, mm. especially with vegetables and anything is mm. non-vegetarian. Mm. Sorry, vegetarian. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot harder to get food poisoning if you clean your veggies properly and stuff like that mm. from vegetables and mm. Obviously, meat is a completely different matter. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the other 10? Can you remember them off the top of your head? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Here it goes. Um, So we've got bread, always commonly wasted. Mm. Um, And you could be quite creative with bread. You can put it in, like, make croutons. You can revive it by making, like, French toast. Um, uh, Milk is a very common one that goes uh, goes to waste. Potatoes, eggs, as I mentioned. Um, I think takeaways, takeaway meals, they mm. they go to waste quite a lot as well. So I think people buy them in bulk, throw them in the fridge, um, and then they're like, oh, this one's gone out of date, like saying it might be fine, but um, they get thrown away. Um, oh, we're trying to think. I think, strangely enough, um, fizzy drinks is on that top ten really? list. Um, really? I thought yeah. that was very yeah. strange, but I think it's when people open them uh, and then they have like a third of the bottle left, but it might not be as nice and fizzy as when they first opened it. So I think okay. they've just, yeah, pull that really? down. I think wow. so. That's what I read from that on being on the top ten list, yeah. This is me, I've never thrown away. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I suppose that's where things like cans and stuff like that 
people bit, always yeah. buy more fresher yeah but people always buy more than what they need yeah. and I think that's part of a problem as well like a, in a very consumerist course, culture definitely. where we always are like oh yeah I'll get two and mm. you really don't need to yeah exactly Priscilla what are you like in terms of food wastage now I must admit I'm a little bit of a snob um, I yeah if I see a date it, just for me it's just I, and that's a mind thing I'm just like okay I'm not going to bother but I must say of late because I've I'm a climate change woke <laughs> um, I think that I'm starting to be a little bit more I don't know open to, to the actual truth um, because if you go out and buy stuff so if I go to a butcher's it doesn't have anything on it or if I go out mm. and I buy veg on the stool it doesn't tell me that it's gone yeah. up so then I'm just usually looking at it and kind of mm. guessing Dodging. and then I just think to myself well then why not have this, a similar mm. attitude for food that's in the shop because if you've looked at it I'm just very weary of being mm-hmm. sick yeah. because of food because mm-hmm. I've had food poisoning and it was horrible nice. and I'm like I just don't want to be sick Fair um, but yeah say that's kind of my stance Mm. see like for me it's weird my family was raised my whole family is very much anti-waste to the point where you know how sometimes you get jam and it gets a bit of mold on it my grandma literally used to get a spoon and run it over the top of the jam dump the moldy bit away and use the bottom bit and now obviously like i'm as i'm saying this it's actually horrific because the whole thing is obviously infested with mo- with mold. There's spores in the whole thing. It's yeah. just that it's only grown at the top. But that's how you know if there's if there's a moldy bit on the bread, just chuck that bit. Like I remember having toast at my grandparents' house that had like loads of little holes in it, like the moon, because they would just pick it out. Because that generation that lived through the war, like yeah. you, did, you couldn't just go down the yeah. road and get more bread. Yeah, and so rationing was ingrained. Yeah, into exactly, exactly. And so my mum is a bit like that, not quite to that extent, but <laughs> you know. So I was really raised on like if you, if you can cut off the mouldy bit. Yeah do that Definitely. I don't do that with jam because that's gross that but you know if like half of the potato is ma- is minging mm. and then the rest of it is cool mm. I'm just going to be like cut that bit off use the rest of it yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah like being creative with how we use you know gone off bread for example or st- bread that is a bit stale so we would deliberately have recipes that were um, you know using older older foodstuffs for example like a soup mm. or um, using breadcrumbs to like make chicken or something, you know, mm. do fried chicken or whatever. So that's kind of um, where we were with that. And it, I think that's really impacted my, when I see people just with food and stuff like that, it just makes me a bit sick. Yeah. Just ch- chucking it away. You can freeze quite a lot of mm. food yeah. as well. Um, yeah. Especially like bread, so then make toast. It's, yes. it's perfect. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. wrong with it. Is mm-hmm. it just freeze it, pop it straight into the toaster? Yeah. Yeah, I was actually going to say, um, I off the back of what you were saying about freezing I do that a lot so I I like to do because I'm such a about (laughs) if I know I'm not going to use it then it's going to go straight Mm. in the freezer Um, and I try as much as possible now if I'm planning my food to do my shop in like bits as opposed to mm. bulk because I found bulk has made me wasteful mm. uh, but I find if I want to eat something that week like if I kind of fancy this and if I cook it and have that over the two days and I'm good then I can do another shop mm. uh, it's difficult though because sometimes doing that is more expensive yeah. and picking better products can be more expensive like in terms of food items can be more expensive as well mm. um, but it's definitely helped in terms of finishing that mm. yeah definitely 
And I mean, it's interesting speaking about like bulk buying products. So before all the conscientious ideas around period products and things like that kind of came into play a lot. You know, I know a lot. I used to bulk buy my tampons and my sanitary products. You're always going to need them. Why not? Exactly. Exactly. So I just used to have like a little cupboard that I used to keep everything in. But now, obviously, with the all of the reporting around how many period products go into landfill or in the sea or whatever um more people are moving towards sort of a period underwear or moon cups and things like that Mm. but i also think that there's like a a a negative reporting and a bias reporting around things that specifically involve women Mm. Yeah. Um, like nappies again it's like oh yeah there's so many nappies in landfill why don't you just use cloth nappies or whatever and these are kind of the environmental impact of things that are tradi- traditionally seen as more women's roles or involving women more <coughs> rather than stuff that men do because you don't talk about I don't know how many condoms go in landfill or razors yeah, or razors or like it's always those products. Yeah, so I actually use um, a menstrual cup and I have done for a few years now. Um, It's definitely becoming more popular, I think. I don't know about you guys if you use them or whatever. Um, But I also think, on the other hand, there is a pressure for women to use them. And I think that's wrong. Mm. Um, I think that your periods are up to you. It's up to you what you want to use. It's very different to some to everyone being able to use a coffee cup and reusing that to like telling women what they should mm. use for their periods different things work for different people different people like to use different things mm. and i think yeah get away from that negative reporting about the amount of pads and uh, tampons because people use things if they want to use them when it comes to their sanitary hygiene mm. and you shouldn't force people to um to choose them I obviously I'm an advocate of them I think they're really good especially when it comes to traveling and Mm -hmm. maybe in um, countries where there isn't access to those products they are amazing they last for years and years and years um, if you look after them and clean them properly but yeah no I'm I think just stop shaming women for yeah, having periods, I think that's wrong. Yeah, I think, and a shame, I was reading an article on my way here about, was it 200,000 tonnes per year or something of, of sanitary products end up in the landfills? And it, it did feel like shame, like I did feel a bit of guilt, but then I also felt, well, actually, this is not you can't a luxury thing. No, exactly, it's mm. not a luxury thing, you know, and I think you're right, it's not the same as, oh, using a reusable cup instead of a plastic coffee no. cup you know when it comes to like you know drinking coffee like a woman's period is such a you know a sensitive thing and you know people who have really heavy periods or who've used the same type of um product for so many years are going to be really reluctant exactly, and, and scared yeah. actually about because i i've never used a menstrual cup or the, the the pants and i'm like i don't i'm very suspicious as to how whether or not like would i feel comfortable would i leak because mm. the, the worst thing you want to do is be at work and then like you've come through or something and like, mm. so women use like trusted products that they know what that of won't course. happen so yeah. it takes a massive amount of time to like to trust another product you know and they're, and I they're think not in, cheap either no that's another thing and so i think in the meantime them, yeah but... like women shouldn't be shamed for, and how about instead of shaming them why why can't what's currently there be used with better, I don't know, biodegradable yes. material? Like, why yes. does there need to be plastic in it in, in the first place? Like, I think that would be a, a more immediate solution yeah. than, like, oh, you should be using that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, I agree. Is there a question? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so, well, I mean, well, I mean to, to follow on from that, I think what is interesting is um, I always like to look at the why of things. So 
if we have known for a long time that what is it something like 20 metric tons of of um human of uh, sanitary waste is is mm. you know going into landfills or is being burnt and polluting the air why why have we not discovered newer better cleaner mm. ways to dispose of this waste and i you know it's it's i can't remember that quote but it's like if if um if men got periods you know, the whole world would be organised totally differently. And I think it's generally, I do think there's like a data bias and a gap um, between what is focused on for men and what is thought about as a cleaner alternative for stuff that affects men yeah, um, and for stuff that affects women. Mm-hmm. I mean, even down to petrol or, you know, cars, obviously, most of the time, men commandeer the car in the family unit, and then women are forced to, you know, or normally have to take public transport or whatever, because they're doing multiple journeys. And so there's lots of solutions around petrol, around going electric and stuff like that, but there aren't that many solutions around period products. And so I think that that is a massive piss take, personally. Um, So yeah, I just want to move on to how we all feel about reporting around climate change in terms of women in climate change. Because Greta Thunberg, sweet little Greta, who is, <laughs> who is 15 or 16? I think she's 16 now, but she was 15 when she started her mm-hmm. act- activism and yes. um, school. Yeah, exactly. So there's been a lot of negative reporting around her and just like she should go back to school or, you know, she's a silly little girl. Why doesn't she just like stay in her lane and stuff like that? And I think it's interesting um, how she's been spoken about in the media and it's particularly in reference to climate change because a lot of climate change scientists are men. So I just wanted to get your thoughts about that if you like. I, I mean, I was looking at, um, in terms of climate change and women, mm. I've got to say I had to educate myself a little bit, educate myself a bit myself this week, because mm. I wasn't aware, actually, you know, when it comes to kind of climate change disasters, let's just say, mm. that women do face the brunt of it, you know, that just didn't, didn't really register uh, for me, but I was kind of hearing stats about what is it in in climate change disasters it's 80 percent 80 percent of the dead are women mm-hmm. and that really surprised me shocking yeah and, mm-hmm. I, and I, I still don't quite know know why really but it just it really surprised me I, did, I didn't realize there was that bias I mean I knew there'd be a bias in terms of like class and um kind of socio-economic factors mm. in terms of survival but gender yeah that that completely surprised me. Yeah. yeah, so I was really interested to um, look into this when you told me the topic. I was, like, having known, knowing quite a lot about the environment, about climate change and things like that, I was quite intrigued because it isn't something I've actually spent that much time think, uh, thinking about. So I did a little bit of research as well, so I've got a couple of stats. Yeah, um, so in the 2004 tsunami, Oxfam reported that men, um, like you just said, uh, the survival rate of men to women was three to one, um, and they and that was in Sri Lanka, Indonesia, and India. Um, and the, some of the reasons that they gave, they obviously don't know exactly why that is. Um, but men are more likely to swim, um, mm. and that when it comes to the evacuation, the moments you've got to run for your life, the women are spending more time. Um, finding their children, finding their loved ones, their relatives, and that stops them being able to escape um, in the final moments that they have to escape, which mm-hmm. is quite, yeah, it's really scary to see to see those statistics um, 
and it definitely makes a massive impact and sort of relating back to what we were saying about women and um using menstrual products and stuff like that um with hurricane katrina back in 2005 Mm. um a lot of the emergency shelters didn't have enough um or an adequate amount of um sanitary supplies for the Mm -hmm. women especially like in the um i think it was the hippodrome where a lot of the evacuees went to um and then following on from um there's natural disasters all the time um levels of rape and violence against women actually Mm -hmm. increases um so it's not as straightforward as to say oh the women die more women die it's the aftermath, the mm. products that they need. They, they don't have a choice. They need to use sanitary products. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I don't know, what, what's the reason why people, men in particular, get more angry and are like angry at the situation and then take that out on women sometimes? Like, mm. yeah. I think, I think shocking. Sorry. I think especially in certain... Um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen here, because obviously we've got our own issues here, but in certain countries where a lot of women have less of a choice in how they go about their womanhood yeah. um, in terms of how they act what they have access to of what they're course. allowed to do it's it's very much the man is given the mantle and you kind of fall into your your position is to look after the children look after the home stay within the house there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do mm-hmm. but obviously there are some people that would love to have life skills beyond cooking and access and, to education yeah and access to that exactly so I think once you've 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 kind of put these people in, in, in this in this awkward position you also create loads of products that they need to then use as well you you keep them confined so naturally the person who's out there that's been taught to survive and taught all these mm-hmm. stuff is gonna they're gonna think about themselves first because everything in the world and in their world has been constructed for them and kind of for their survival whereas the woman is like you said thinking about oh I need to think about my child or this product I need to buy or whatever so then you've just got a group of you've got a group of women who just don't they don't know how they don't know how to run for their life they don't know how to put themselves first they haven't been told no they've not been empowered in that sense um yeah, and even down to things like products as well, like sanitary products. There are some, in some countries I know, where a lot of women use like cloths, and that's not out of, I want to do it's out of, I, do, I don't have anything that I that's can, I can't have buy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, so I have to then use this particular product. Mm. So it's just, when you're on the back burner, no one's thinking about you anyway, mm. you're naturally going to fall victim. You, if you scream and say, I'm going through this, or someone's, you know, I'm going through rape or whatever, and no one's listening, you're not important. Your story's not important. Mm. When it comes to blaming, it is. Mm. But when it comes like to the say, actual data problem, gap. Yes, yeah. it's like you're not, you're not exactly. key. Exactly. But blame women. Blame us for ages, though. Yeah, that, exactly. That, that's why I, f- I remember Katrina, and that's why I found it so alarming that, you know, the richest country in the world, in the world yeah. when that's when the... Um, flooding what was it the flooding the earthquake what happened in Katrina the hurricane yeah when that happened and they they were in that stadium for weeks and you'd look on the news and you would think oh this is maybe like you know I don't know Bombay or developing country or somewhere not the richest country in the world where you wouldn't expect that it would take what was it a fortnight a month I can't remember but all the rapes and looting and all all the attacks that were happening in that hippodrome yeah it was just shocking, yeah, you know. Yeah. So then that makes me think, okay, so they talk about, you know, in climate, in a climate change disaster, in a kind of, in a country of a, of a kind of lower socioeconomic background, women are more susceptible to things that happen. But then that happened in America. 
Yeah. Which is the richest country in the world. So you can only exactly. imagine how much worse it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can only imagine exactly. how much worse, but also then that With then the it's... Contrast. Yeah, it doesn't mm. connect then, no. because then yeah. that still happened in, you know, America. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, because I think females... Well, stories around women, it's been the same thing over and over again. And it's like, it frustrates me when everyone's like, oh, there's not this gender bias or there isn't this kind because it exists in every kind of space. But as you said, even worse in spaces where there isn't any, you know, I don't have a right to speak. Like, who, who, how dare I even speak up and say anything's happened to me? So It's true. And I mean, this, this kind of data bias, data gap, um, there's a wonderful book called Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez, and she talks a lot about the environmental um, and socioeconomic impacts of data gaps and data bias. Mm -hmm. And she talks about things like, for example, what happens in natural disasters, like lack of sanitary access to sanitary products, obviously. And again, you know, if you if there are trans people, there's no access to hormones, mm. no access to baby changing facilities. Like there's so many things because all of the planning around natural disasters and city planning in general is done by men. Yeah. Mm. And so, you know, I think it's interesting. And Kirsty, you know, you, I know you worked on a project around designing um, living spaces that, for, you know, better. Mm -hmm. um, particularly for families and things like that. But, you know, um, Caroline in her book talks about how most cities are organized in a sort of grid in a in a circular fashion in terms of transport because that's how men men tend to to travel men tend to travel in a big circle whereas when women tend to travel in a grid and obviously women tend to take public transport as well because as we've mentioned before men commandeer the family car yeah and so obviously that has a direct impact on the environment and how much rubbish is produced on say, for example, if there's no access to baby changing facilities or an adequate way to dispose of baby, you know, nappies and things like that, they go, they just go straight in the bin rather than being properly disposed of. Um, and yeah, Kirsty, I want you to tell us a bit more about the project that you worked on on the estates and and the waste and how you organise that to benefit families better. Yeah, so I worked on a project um, at a local authority, um, which was specifically on estates. Um, and it looked at closing the waste chutes um, and building what I would call um, pretty bin stores um, and putting both the recycling and the waste bins next to each other and the food waste. Um, and generally, it like in the trial, it had a very um, positive um, effect. I think recycling went up by 50% in the trial project and so I was part of the team doing the next phase of the project doing it on in more locations um, and so yeah at the moment if you live on a state a lot of the, built in the 60s a lot of the time you have um, this horrible looking metal um, sort of shutter that you throw your rubbish down into and for a lot of people um, the recycling bins are really far away there aren't that many um, so it was about stopping using those because a lot of the time they're not fit for purpose and they're also a bit of a fire risk. Yeah. And uh, make just making the bins just a nicer place to be, not a dark, dingy, dirty space at the back of, I don't know, the block or whatever, um, and making it easier. So on your way in and out of the building, having those there, you're going in and out anyway. If you're going to go to those bins, now maybe you're going to recycle as well as just using the rubbish bin. Um so yeah, that was um, really interesting. I really enjoyed working on that project. And I I think with older buildings, it's a lot harder for people to um, recycle. And it might not be a 
priority for them, especially when they're on the 11th floor or something like that. Um, they might not have the time to walk down or, mm. yeah, you, it's very di- easy to say, oh, everyone should recycle and everyone should do the right thing. But there are so many um, different elements to think about when it comes to actually changing that behaviour mm. and infrastructure in the actual physical bin or the collection service or the space you have mm. does come into play. And it's one of the main reasons why um, flats recycling rates are so, so, so low. Yeah. 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 It's about access as well, I think, yeah. mm. and you know that's that's a massive um, that's a massive problem. I think you know for people with disabilities or older people mm. in terms of first of all remembering, yeah, like what what piece of recycling goes in where, what time it's collected when, and also just being able to physically, if you live in a flat, physically drag it out mm-hmm. and down the stairs, or if you don't have access to a lift, yeah. Um, Priscilla, you were gonna, you were gonna say. No, that. I was, I was gonna yeah. that's exactly what I was gonna say. Access, access mm. is massive, massive, massive issue. Mm. Um, and for anyone that lives in a flat, even if you're not from a particular community, let's say, uh, it's it's a chore going yeah. out of your house, going downstairs. I'm fortunate enough I can open my front door and you know put stuff in the food. I mean, you've got a mini food bin in the, um, in the house, and then I've got a massive one outside, so I can kind of like you know take that out, chuck yeah. it out. But that's mm. that's my privilege, I guess, in that sense. Not everyone's got access to that. Um, so I think maybe it's just about formulating tools that make it easier um, and make you feel like I then have to follow this through somehow uh, without it being a chore. Yeah. Which, again, is a headache, as you can imagine, because some flats have got, like, how many floors? So how do you do? 21 levels yeah. or something like that. And you've got kids as well, so yeah. a lot yeah. of people would want to do that on their way out. You just want one bag. You don't want to have to it's drag not, a toddler Yeah, it's not your like, priority. You've got a lot going on. Bag. Yeah, right. you've got kids and you pushing mm. a buggy or like you say someone in a wheelchair yeah. might not be able to reach the bins and stuff exactly. like that so yeah it's not a one size fits all yeah definitely yeah. but maybe we make it a priority i think maybe a lot of this stuff is laziness because we love convenience yeah i would agree maybe if we you know i'm just we all love convenience yeah there are people who might not be able to go to the bins or elderly, um, mm-hmm. disabled, or, you know, people are really busy with young children, but there are a lot of people who okay. I also think that choose not to because they mm-hmm. can't be bothered. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a shame, and I think they're probably a larger proportion of the population um, that have the ability to help make that small change, yeah, no, whether it's food waste recycling or, yeah. like we were saying earlier, you reusing your, not using pla- uh, disposable cups, using a reusable one. Yeah. Um, it's about making that conscious conscious change um, all the time rather than just yeah, yeah now and again. Do you can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. still think that people view recycling as like a middle class is, do you think there's still a kind of class thing around kind of like recycling and, and like environment or just to kind of, I, I know I was really slow to the recycling train because I was like oh, you know I do recycle now and I have done for, for many years but I remember before I kind of just viewed it as like this kind of I don't know just a little bit of an elitist thing really mm. and I'm wondering if there's still that perception since you work in that environment in that industry in that environment if there's still that perception you think of people kind of thinking it's like this like this we should be worrying about other problems. This is like yeah, a middle class. Potentially. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily like a middle class thing to do. But like I was saying, priorities, that isn't everyone's priority. And whether or not that's then associated with class, mm-hmm. yes, maybe to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
different people have different things going on mm-hmm. and that can affect um, what they prioritise, whether or not that's, I don't know, going going to the bins or, I don't know, educating themselves on some, some other issues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that's quite a tricky one. No, I just I just wondered. As I I know a couple of years ago being green was kind of seen yes, as definitely. Like, you know, like a middle class thing. You know? Definitely, like especially the like most businesses, um, I think a lot of the people who um, sit at the top of um, lots of large environmental companies or um, organisations tend to be white middle class men. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, I can... And that's like with lots of industries. Yeah. Um, that definitely is something to do with class and white privilege in a way as well. But yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not totally sure, entirely sure about recycling on its own. I think it's massively dependent on the borough you live in, and like I said, the access and yeah. how easy it is for you to do. It. I mean, there's 32 um, London boroughs, each of them with a separate and different policies around what they can do, and I think that needs to be clearer. Yeah. Um, different things happen to different people's ways some people can recycle glass some people can't mm-hmm. um some people put it in a big bin some people use a bag it's all so confusing and no one if you move around a lot especially you don't know what's the right thing to do exactly. and so te- people tend to then um not bother yeah they're like I, i'm confused i don't know what to do i'm just just gonna leave it i don't have time for that yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think so i think it definitely has a class element only because the model that we have in general in this country is a capitalist model. Mm-hmm. And so everything is a is like a reflection of that. So, for example, if there's not seen to be any, um, any profit in going green or staying green, when you are working class, if you don't, don't directly see the benefit of it, but it takes your time and your time mm-hmm. is your money... It, it can have an impact in, in that sense, I think. Um, but in terms, of, I also think in terms of reporting, there's there's a weird like disconnect between how um, climate change is reported about. Because like, on the one hand, there's loads of scaremongering. Like, ah, we're all going to, you know, there's, um, there's something called, hold on, let me just double check. There's something called um, Earth Overshot Day, which this year is the 29th of July. So that means that we're due to overshoot the amount of resources that we have. So the Earth cannot replenish the resources that we have used up for this year, like at all, already. And we're not even, we haven't even hit December. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, yeah, there's lots of reporting about things like that. And I'm sure on that day, there'll be loads of reporting on it. And then there's a disconnect between that and like, oh, yes, Kim Kardashian's latest makeup line, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's just like, so you go straight from one thing mm. to another thing and there's no kind of lingering on the impact and on the um, the different contexts within within climate change or within classism that, that make that in, makes that intersection happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, even in terms of like things like going vegan, we're all told to go vegan and that will save the planet. It's like, well... Will it? Yeah. Will it? Yeah, and I, I definitely agree when it comes to the. I think that there definitely was that element of, you know, classes of money came to recycling, especially a couple of years ago. I would agree because I know when I started doing it, some of my friends hadn't done it, and they would say, "Oh, yeah, but that's because you live in a bougie area or whatever." Oh, it really? Is. Yeah. So maybe they just kind of attributed the forceful, you know, you've got to recycle with 
where I live and are people it's like you the have correct to, yeah, behavior yeah, yeah. I'm doing the right thing right as opposed to like maybe I've got a bit more choice or whatever which is not true at all mm-hmm. um and I found it quite interesting because I think people that are extremely rich not all a lot of people that I've come across that have got a lot of money don't care about it as much and then but you've then got this in between us there's a little bit of an awareness there because there's been a bit more of a journey that's still fresh. Because um, I, I remember working years and years ago now for a woman and I was project managing with her and in her house, she would, first and foremost, the tissues could never get past halfway. They'd be chucked. That was the rule for the housekeeper. So once the tissue reaches half, the tissues were finished in chucks. Yeah. The box? As in toilet A tissue. toilet roll. So the toilet roll in the bathroom would get... So it was the housekeeper's job to ensure that in every bathroom in the house, which is probably about eight or ten, Whoa. if the toilet roll reaches halfway, for her, it was like a sign of poverty. Oh, So my she would God. get them to replace wow. it and they would be chucked. Wow. And she also had stickers with her um, family's logo, because family owned the plantation. So. so she had stickers with a family logo that would then every single time, if you went to her house and used the bathroom, came out, the housekeeper would go straight in after you, fold the toilet paper like that. In the little and then, triangle. Yeah, like that. Oh and then God. put her logo sticker oh on top. And then every time you somebody else would go and take that off and she just had tons of stickers with their logo, like little just little stickers with their with their uh, initial. And I couldn't I couldn't I don't believe understand. It. I That's don't... so wasteful. Right. Oh, so like for, for, for her yeah. for her, the entitlement I can is enough. Like I yes. can. It's mm. not about I don't care what the planet's talk I don't care what you're talking about. We can we can chuck. They would chuck. She, I, I was at um, the house one day in the kitchen and um, she went to the toilet, came out and was like, to one of the house, house um, maids, um, the roll. And I was just like, like, I know that that roll has not gone past like that. And you're like, the roll. And they just literally had a bag that chuck it in. Same with um, like uh, their underwear and stuff. Mm. They, they threw everything away every month. Oh my goodness. So they had new bras and new... Um, like she had two daughters, so these bras need her, You're and they'll chuck it. Kidding! I can't understand that. And this is a really thinking. expensive. I mean, yeah. I don't know about maybe your underwear in terms of your pants, but your bras. Wow. Okay, really. But yeah, mm. every month, every single four weeks, they'd go shop. That's that was her thing. That's incredible. So then I see that. I've seen that, and I thought that's waste on a level that I never even mm. knew knew existed. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, in their house, they had that little, you know, where you could chuck the food in the. And then flush it so it goes down. Oh, like those American. Yeah. So it's like. I don't understand. Sorry. I I can't even imagine a world where me or my family would do that. Um, Because of entitlement. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes when. If if the truth isn't played out to people, like I've spent time in my own, like, personal time watching videos on stuff or watching documentaries on stuff and seeing the realities of it and it's like mm. this is actually scary mm. like mm. I'm actually I watch it and I'm actually scared and I, it's not in, a, in it's not even in a way of oh, the scaremongering it's actually no, when yeah, I watch it and it. I see the when I see the waste I'm mm. like this is not funny yeah, why yeah. should what we're doing here be affecting first and foremost affecting communities that like that in certain countries in the global south yeah Yeah. that's really 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 horrible yeah we've got that but then at the same time there's like the sense of ownership I'm like I live on this planet so I feel like I need to be a little bit more responsible Mm -hmm. so now I don't just shrug things off I'm not as good but I still want to 
say, okay, let me try and make better decisions when it comes to this or when it comes to that. Look into this a little bit more. So I think maybe the education on it needs to be more, not forceful, but we need to get it. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people won't get it until it's like, do you understand what's going on like and, yes. and definitely I think in the beginning you know it was kind of seen as a bit of a hippie thing yeah like, you know and I <laughs> yeah. think for me one of the biggest impacts is seeing like you know like wildlife and the oceans and like how yeah. and, and, you know when you see like plastic bags wrapped around like pelicans necks you really then realize that what you do in your little I don't know here in London or Shepherd's Bush or whatever will have a massive impact on you know an ocean or wildlife or species mm, millions yeah. millions of miles away and then that, that kind of really hit for me that actually yeah that's you know we leave a footprint yeah and no, you, know, absolutely. you have to kind of yeah. be more conscious be aware of yeah. that. for me what really gets me is recently i've seen um in the media photos of polar bears yes completely tiny suffering and pain starving because obviously the water where the ice where they lived um has melted um they're struggling to get food and there was a picture recently i don't know where it was but it was like a polar bear had like was on this garbage sort of mountain yeah probably a landfill um just lost and it's just so sad when you see that and like um all the turtles and just it's really really sad um and going on from that with oceans and plastics you could probably talk Mm. about for quite a long time but Mm. it's really really scary to think about the amount of plastic in the ocean Mm. I don't eat meat but I eat fish and even knowing the statistics about microplastics and the amount of um, plastic in the majority of the fish Mm. um, is scary scary. and water and you know every time you wash your clothes you've got particles going into the water Mm. and um, with climate change in general um, the impact on water is what causes some of these natural disasters and mm-hmm. it's a lot more complicated than that yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's really scary because with the capitalist society that we live in and yeah. lots of other parts of the world um, it's going to get to a stage maybe it's not going to be for 150 years but it's going to get to a stage where you aren't going to be able to use your money to buy clean water yeah. and you're not going to be able to use exactly. your money to buy food that isn't completely polluted or it's it's scary it's it is something to be scared about but i don't think scaremongering is necessarily the right way that the media should be portraying it yes yeah i mean even like this february this year i remember there was what a week of a heat wave and it was Mm -hmm. brilliant i I can wear my t-shirt in february but then you know when you even without scaremongering you begin to think to yourself okay i shouldn't i shouldn't be wearing a t-shirt in february yeah like i shouldn't be boiling in february like even without the news you can reconcile the fact that that's that that is nothing's off Yes, yeah, that's not normal. Exactly. Yeah. This time last year, it was swelting. Yeah. It was so hot. Mm-hmm. I remember I remember being like, what the hell? Like, what's going on? And this year, we've had more rain than anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, the reality is there. And whilst I agree that scaremongering might not be uh, an effective way in terms of allowing the information to sit in, I do believe we need to highlight the severity of it. Mm-hmm. I think people actually really need to understand this is not, as you said, about money. Like, if we put down 100 people and you're all from different backgrounds, you've got different access to funding, that still doesn't change. We still live in the world. It's like being on a plane and being in the first class. If the plane crashes, mm-hmm. we're all going to die. Yeah. Yeah. That way <laughs> mind, don't that's a, a really good way of saying it. You don't have, like, a special access no. to, you know, a super jet that's going to come and pick you up because <laughs> you've spent £1,000 more on a, on, a, on a ticket. We we all go yeah. um, and it's it's really it's kind of a 
it's scary when I've watched this stuff and I've read stuff on it and I'm like, oh, I need to start holding myself a little bit more accountable about the decisions I make, which I don't always do, mm. but I try my best. I remember a time, I think it was last year when we had an event and we had loads of balloons left and we were like, what are we going to do? Walking around, like, firing the oh. balloons. And Zalika was like, you can't, because I think we wanted to just let them go. So yeah. was like, you can't, like, can't let them go you can't just let that let I said that I said what about the whales yeah oh. because what happens what happens is that when people release balloons they get carried out to sea then they deflate and whales and other sort of big predatory mammals in the sea think that they're jellyfish or squid oh. and they eat them and it makes them really sick and they die and that's how you know that's how dolphins and whatever wind up on beaches with loads of plastic yeah, in, in their bellies. I mean, Fair. just bringing it back to, um, I hate using this phrase, global warming, because I know climate change is probably is probably more um, de rigueur. Um, but the last time that there was this much CO2 in the atmosphere, there were trees in the South Pole. I'll let that sink in. <laughs> there yeah. were trees in the South Pole. It's just like, it's just a bit mental. And to bring it back to what we were talking about in terms of like holding yourself accountable, I think fast fashion has a really big impact on the environment. I mean, I'm massively guilty of buying, you know, we all we all have um, a responsibility not to buy fast fashion, but at the same time, eco fashion is, is really expensive. Mm. It's hard. Yeah, and hard to get hold of as well. It's really hard. Like, I'm... I, I'm it's one of those things. I'm glad, though, that I'm feeling convicted like this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm glad that I'm at a stage now where when I'm making decisions, it pops into mind. Whilst I might not always make the best decision, I'm still glad that it's a thought that comes in, in into my mind. Like, do you know, what what are you doing here? Or can you not go for something else? Or maybe look for something else? I received packaging the other day. and I, It was just for something really small. You know, you look at all the boxes and you're like, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Amazon, yeah. Amazon what is, is this? Why have I got all of this yeah. stuff? And I was really angry about mm-hmm. it. Um, but rightfully so. I think we need to be. Um, and I think even with clothing and stuff, when I was, you watch videos about some of the production spaces that a lot of designers operate from as well. Yes. And you just think, I remember lying down and watching something on on the fast fashion, and I thought, no, I I don't want to wear this at your expense. Yes. No, I'm I don't want to have this designer bag that bad that you wake up every morning and work silly shifts just so that I can carry yeah. a bag around. But we don't we, we don't, don't make get the it because it's not between it's not the in two. our immediate environment. Mm. Sometimes it's difficult to to understand something unless it's like glaring. Yeah. Like maybe if we walked into the shop and saw a video, yeah. <laughs> it would make you think twice. But because yeah. we don't, then it's like Yeah. Eh. I think there has to be a balance. I don't think everyone is going to and it's not realistic for everyone to um, turn vegan and behave in a zero waste manner tomorrow. I don't think that's realistic. I don't always like the term zero waste. Um, But yeah, like starting to be mindful about those decisions and maybe thinking maybe I don't need that new top from ASOS or I don't need that misguided (laughs) bikini for my holiday. And, you know, just trying to think about maybe buying something that is a little bit more expensive, Mm. but will last a lot longer. Um, It doesn't have to be eco-fashion, but something that you know you will use like for years. Mm -hmm. Time, they say 30 wears, if you're gonna have something for 30 wears. But then you have individual responsibility, and even if you don't buy that bag, or if if someone buys, you know, something else, Mm 
you've got individual responsibility, which is still important. But then, you know, even if 10 people decide not to do those things, those processes are still going to be in place. Of course. Like the big industries are still going to use, you know, child labour or, or whatever kind of means they do to make the close so I think yeah. on both sides you need individual responsibility but also kind of corporate responsibility same for you know if women do start using more moon cups or whatever on their period mm-hmm. you know you're still going to have you know those pads and tampons that have plastic that aren't biodegradable like yeah. at some point there needs to be a balance absolutely and even more yeah. of a kind of corporate responsibility balance definitely really yes. There seems to be a lot of kind of onus on the individual, which mm-hmm. is good. Like you say, people should, you know, start thinking. And, you know, I myself, we, we could all be doing and being a bit more kind of aware. But then I think there's a bigger responsibility as well that's needed. I think so, too. I, um, I think it is, yeah, like you say, when you feel like you're doing the right thing and everyone else isn't, yeah. um, you almost feel like, what is the point? Like, mm. I'm doing my best, um, but it's not making much of an impact. It's not making a dent. Mm. Um, and there needs to be a call to action on these large corporations over mass producing and overproducing everything, every yeah. industry, mm-hmm. um, because there, there are only there are finite resources that we have left yeah. and we are overproducing at a crazy level yeah. and i think it's not it's not easy it's not going to be an easy solution but i think for example um, more recently some supermarkets have been using less plastic i think it's like waitrose yes. morrisons yes. Um, a few like major co- uh, companies sainsbury's have started to use like less plastic in their packaging or at least having like trialing plastic free areas and I think that's come from pressure from the people Mm -hmm. and I think that needs to happen more and more and more but like you say it's not some it's not easy and it's something that a lot of people need to get behind before they even think about making those decisions because it costs them money and they're all about making a profit so yeah there's no easy solution but I think it is still good to have that um a conscious um, awareness of those decisions that you're making and I think the important thing is that you don't have to be perfect you don't have to do everything right but if you're trying and I I think that's just the way we have to go we've got to start trying to make a difference for it to have a positive impact 100% wow I think that is that is a good note to leave off on because yeah You've seen, you've said everything I I was thinking. Sorry. No, no, it's good. It's good. Yeah, we. I think you've summed it up really well. Um, but yeah, just some final thoughts about let's say one action that we are going to do in the future to help take care of the planet. I think I'm just going to say be mindful and hold yourself accountable for what you can because I really do agree that the corporations need to. It's for, I think force is needed. Mm. I think the government needs to step in and say we don't allow this. Because we're human. At the end of the day, we we're consumers. We don't produce the products. Yeah. If I'm in a rush and I need water, I'm going to buy water because I need water. Yeah. Um, whereas if it's not available in the same way, then I will adapt. So yeah, mm-hmm. accountability. I think and mindfulness, force for action. Yes. Yeah. I'd say definitely there as well. And also just um, I think committed to sort of educate myself a bit more. I think you mentioned something earlier today about how things are designed very much and around that kind of male use. And I, you know, yeah. I was, I was at, at an event yesterday. And there were these massive queues for the women's toilets and they had to open up the men's. Mm. And I realised that, and so we went to the men's and then there were urinals and cubicles. And I kind of thought like, wherever you go, there's always kind of like equal men's, equal women's, but maybe there kind of should be more women's actually, because, you know, women may need to, you know, know, change their kids' nappies or change, you know, pads or whatever. Mm. Gender neutral toilets. Yes. 
yeah, anyway, so yeah, I think being more aware about actually these things that actually do exist and just mm. kind of, yeah, keeping myself educated. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think for, for me, I will make a concentrated commitment um, in solidarity with my sisters in the global south who are usually working in sweatshops to buy more sustainable fashion. Anyway, this has been the Conversation Podcast. Signing off. Signing off. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.